And really, that's been the theme of the series we're wrapping up today, Enough for Us, looking at how God is enough for our lives and for all the issues of the world that are going on. And I, I want to pray for us as we get started, because we're going we're gonna to be looking at Psalm 23. As Rob said, it's one of the most familiar and well-loved scriptures in the whole Bible. And that's because God has used it to, to touch the hearts of millions and billions of people who have read this and got something about who God is and kind of like, man, that's the life that I want and that's what God has for me and it's been so encouraging. Um, but there's always a danger of us going to God's word and just kind of like letting it gloss over and not receiving what God wants. And I believe God wants us to receive something, each of us, in a personal way today. You all believe that? Good. So I just want to pray and as I pray, agree with me and let's, let's trust God to speak to you the very thing he wants to speak. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are enough. Thank you that you are good. Lord, I thank you that the reason we're here today isn't to do a church thing or you know, just go through some motions, but because there's a, there's a special way that you're present when we gather together. The Holy Spirit, I invite you right now to be here in a powerful way. Would you cause your word to come alive in our hearts in the very places that we, we need them? Lord, I ask that that if, according to our desire, if that's our desire, that no one of us would leave this place without hearing something from you that you want to encourage us with and you want to give us direction for our life with. Lord, we trust you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going to go through, this is the 23rd Psalm. It's a, a short psalm. It's only six verses long. And we're going to read through it. This was written by David, who became the greatest king of Israel. But before he was a king, he was a shepherd. And he really, the, God established the foundation of his life during the time when he was a youth, when he was out on the hillside watching sheep. And it was really there where he came to know God in a personal way. And that was the foundation through which he became a, a great leader. And that's the same thing that God has for us. And so Psalm 23, I'm just going to read through kind of a verse at a time and then, and then talk about it. And the, the first line is, is the most, most well-known, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if we just got that today, that would be enough. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yahweh, literally that's the, the proper name of God, Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh means the one who, who is, who always has been. The one who provides everything we need. The one who fulfills his promises. He's not just up there, but he is my shepherd. And because of that, I shall not want. Jesus later identified himself as the good shepherd. You know, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the Lord. And in, in John 10, 10, and 11, he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you know, this is really good news for us and a lot, for a lot of reasons. One is that we're a lot like sheep. You know, this, this whole psalm compares us to sheep and God being the shepherd. And sheep are, and I actually did a little bit of research or reading about sheep this week. Sheep are actually pretty intelligent creatures, but despite their intelligence, they do a lot of foolish things. They're, they're intelligent but foolish at the same time. 
And, you know, can you relate? That's kind of like people. You know, we got all this brain power, but sheep do stuff like, you know, they just want one more chunk of grass that's not where they are, and so they take a step down a precarious cliff, and then they find themselves tumbling down into the ocean or the water below. And, you know, they, they get stuck in thorns and thistles, and they get stuck in all sorts of predicaments. They're like, wait, you should know not to go there, but sheep don't do very well on their own. Now, there's a reason that sheep are in herds and they have shepherds, and historically, because you don't see a lot of, like, wild, domesticated sheep, at least. You don't see them, like, escaping and then, like, thriving in the wild, like mustangs, you know, or, like, the, the wild boars that are, you know, spreading all over the U.S. No, sheep don't do that. All right, if they get out, they die. And sheep need a shepherd. And that's, that's really how we are. We, we are made in such a way that there's, we're made in the image of God, but without a shepherd, without God being in our life, it doesn't go well for us at all. And the, you know, in this, I, 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 read, I heard someone say about this this week, that in that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's, because God is my shepherd, I don't have to lack anything. Everything that I need, I can find in my relationship with God. There is nothing. I don't have to live a life of being discontent or yearning for something else because everything that I need, God has available for me, and he'll provide for me. And this person said, he said, in that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He said the most sublime word in that whole sentence is the word my. Not just is God the shepherd, but he's my shepherd. That, and a lot of times we talk about how, you know, it's not just about our individual life. It's about, you know, we're part of a community and God's called us to think beyond our own life. But the reality is God cares so much about each individual person. And we each need to find our life and everything we need in our personal relationship with Jesus. I was reading a book this week. And... And it was talking about some of the challenges in the world. And it's, you know, really overwhelming problems all over the world. And it, it, there was one stat in the book that every day, 21,000 kids in the world die of hunger. And I was just like, oh, man, that's just, and stats like, you're like, what? That's just overwhelming. And the one response I had was, okay, I just, I feel like I should not really feel like I have any problems. Because compared to the real problems out there, I really don't. You know, there are, there are children starving all over the world. And, you know, so much injustice and things we've been talking about in this series. But I really felt like God, God ministered to me as I was thinking about this, that, you know, that's true. That your problems aren't as bad as a lot of people's problems. But, you know what? They still are real. And... Unless I know that the Lord is my shepherd, unless I personally get what I need from God, then I'm never going to be able to have something to give to somebody else. God doesn't want us to, to beat us up like, hey, you should feel bad about yourself because you have needs and wants and things that... No, it's like, no, I want to meet those needs. I want to fill, you in those, fill those places in your heart. And as you receive, Jesus said, freely you receive, freely give. Like as we receive something from him, then we have the ability to give to others. But until we personally know that God is my shepherd, I shall not want, we can't really help anybody else. Because we have to personally, as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
And that God has that for us, that we can personally taste and see that he's good. And out of that, we can give to others. The other thing about this first sense I want to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is that there is a, a promise in there that God has everything we need. But the promise is not guaranteed. Just because it's available doesn't mean that we always receive it. And in David's saying, the author, the, the psalm writer David saying, I shall not want, that is really an act of his will. It's a decision. Say, I will not want. I'm not going to want because I'm going to find my needs in God. And because of that, I won't want. But it is very easy for us, and we all do it, and I'll raise my hand first. Many times I do want because I'm not realized making this decision. Okay, no, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm looking to you, God, for what I need. You all following me? All right. So there is a blessing. We're going to read through the rest of this, these, these few verses here. And this is just a, a, a psalm rich of the blessings that God has available to us. Actually, as I was starting this, I just started writing down how many blessings I saw in these six verses. And my first list had more than 20 things. Like the blessing of this, the blessing of this, the blessing of this, the blessing of this. There's so much that God has blessed us with. And we're going to kind of narrow that down. We're going to look at seven of those blessings. And if you have your bulletin or a notebook, you can, if you could jot these down. I'm trusting that God would speak to every one of us at least one of these blessings that he wants you to trust him for and something he wants to lead you into. But it's, a, it's available, but it's not guaranteed. God makes it available, but it's us looking to him and trusting him that determines how much of this we receive. And so, uh, we'll, we'll just continue reading here. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Literally, that means waters of rest. He restores my soul. This is the, I'm going to call this the blessing of restoration. I kind of, it's really the blessing of rest and restoration. I kind of combined it as, as one word there. But God wants to bring us in the, into a place of living in his rest. Now, I, I was thinking about what's the most like, restful environment I've ever been in. And I'm the kind of guy, if I like, you know, see a billboard with someone at a spa getting a massage, like, that doesn't really appeal to me too much, honestly. Like, I've gotten a couple massages in my life, and you know, they, were, they were great. They were good. But the whole time, I'm kind of sitting there like, why is this person touching my back? <laughs> and like, what is going on here? Like, that's just, I'm not really wired. I'm kind of more like, I want to do stuff. If I think about my dream vacation, it's more like travel the world and be active. But one time, I was on a mission trip. We used to take trips several years ago to, to Latvia. There was a church we were partnered with. And the Bal- it's one of the Baltic states in northern Europe. And they, we went to this resort area one day, and it was just, ah, like the most incredible environment I've ever been in like this. Now, we've got a picture of this place, but there was this, in, in Latvia, they've got this thing called banya, and it's really like, like a sauna, where you go into the sauna, and it's super hot, and you sit there for a while, and there's something about, you know, it cleanses your pores, and you start feeling really relaxed and, and hot, but then they take it to the next level in Latvia, and this, this gal on the bottom, they, they put these birch leaves and branches all over your back 
Um, and then the, like, masseuse kind of person comes and, like, starts tapping you at your back and then, like, beating you kind of harder and harder. And, you know, we had a Russian friend of ours doing it, and he kind of was taking it out on some of the guys really hard. It actually drew a little bit of blood. But that sounds, that sounds a little intense, but it's amazing how this, when you're in that environment, it just, like, it does something to you. And then, actually, you come out of that just, like, really, really hot environment and the thing, and traditionally this would be out in the winter where it's snowy, you'd go outside and you'd jump in the lake in the middle of the winter. And so they'd have like this really cold water and you'd jump into it. And I felt like my heart had never been more alive. It was like, boom! You know, just like, I mean, this is incredible. And you come out and literally, you're just like, oh man, I feel great. This is amazing. And so this place, it was like, they had that, but then they had all these different rooms with like eucalyptus branches and smells and salt that you rubbed on your body and different temperatures of pools. And it was like, this is great. I like this. I could, I could come back to this place. And that's really kind of the picture. There's a place of rest that God has for us. It doesn't, you know, we don't have to go to Latvia to experience it. But in our relationship with him, that he, he leads us to a place of rest. And the description of this for the sheep, it's, hey, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters or waters of rest. And there's, you know, there's plenty of food in this environment. There's plenty of water. There's everything that you need. And I, I was reading about shepherds and sheep, and really sheep are very fidgety animals, very prone to being nervous, kind of like another creature I can think of, us. And, you know, if they're a little bit hungry, it's hard for they don't want to rest. If they're very social, and so any sort of, like, tension in the flock, like, it's really hard for them to rest when that's going on. If they have, you know, bugs bothering them, it's really hard to rest. But the presence of a shepherd, like, when he walks among the flock, they know, okay, the enemies are not going to be bothering us. No coyotes or wolves are going to come near. There's just, it brings a calm and a peace to the herd. Of the flock. And that's really what, what Jesus does. That he, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He brings that peace to us. Um, you know, it's funny that it says he makes us lie down. Because sometimes we don't naturally want to rest. We kind of want to go, 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 go. I, want, I need to accomplish. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have enough. I need to keep going, 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 going. And, you know, he makes us Jesus comes and says, you know what? Trust me. It's not all about going, 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 going. It's funny how one of the Ten Commandments, right up there with don't have any idols and don't honor your father and mother, don't kill, and then have a day of rest. Like, wow, God had to command that to us because there's part of us that doesn't take to that naturally. And so God comes into our lives and says, hey, no, come. Rest in me. The New Testament says that Jesus is our rest. We have everything we need in him. Um, you know, along with tending to not rest, we also tend to rest in the wrong places. Now, we kind of are like sheep that tend to try to, when we do lie down, we maybe lie down among razor blades. Like, we're, we're trying to rest in behaviors that are actually destructive to us. Or maybe we're lying down in the field of cotton candy. And it's like, man, this is really pretty and sweet, but I end up getting a stomach stomachache and doesn't work out very well. Like We look to things to try to find rest that don't actually produce the rest that we need. But God, as we look to him and find our rest in him, he brings us into that true place. Verse 3 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness 
for his name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is a picture of the shepherd taking the flock, and they would go in the, uh, as, as the season progressed, they would go from the, the valley and walk up to the higher ground. And they would follow the path. And if you go on the wrong path, you could go off a cliff or in a bad place. But the, the shepherd knows the right paths. Literally, it's, he leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. And this reminds me of, in Psalm 119, verse 32, the psalm writer says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. There's a path that God has for us of, of his commands, of the right paths. And we're like sheep, and we tend to like not go to those commandments, not go to the right paths. We think we can find better food somewhere else. But it's actually the, the right paths. If you look at what God says about anything in his word, it's his commands are not to, to make us miserable, but to bring us life. When you look at what God says about relationships, what he says about sexuality, what he says about money, it's learning those paths, they bring us life. And um, Jesus, Jesus, uh, Jesus does that for us. They're calling this the blessing of the way. The blessing of knowing the way to live. Now, how often do we live, like, not really knowing what we're supposed to do? But one of the greatest gifts God gives us is, no, this is how you should live. The early Christians were called followers of the way which is really an Eastern idea. It's more like martial arts where you've got the jiu-jitsu instructor up in front. And he's like practicing all the moves, which I can't do any jiu-jitsu moves. I can't even say the word. But then you've got the different belts, and they're following and practicing, and they're learning the way of the master. And as you learn that, it brings a peace in your life. And so for us to come into the blessing of the way, it's first seeing that, yes, there is a path. There is a way that God has for me. And... The question is, how intentional am I about being in the way, about being a disciple of the way, about learning God's, God's ways, learning his commands, learning his instructions, and applying them to, to my life? Because as we do that, we, we experience the blessing more and more. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So here's a picture of the shepherd taking the sheep through these valleys. You've got cliffs on either side. Maybe places where the sun only comes through a couple hours a day. It's a place where predators love to lurk. There's a potential for death. And I would think, man, if you're a good shepherd, can't you just avoid those places? Like, can't we just avoid the valley of the shadow of death? Like, that doesn't play, sound like where I want my shepherd to take me. But the shepherd does take the sheep through those places because that's part of the path where he's leading us. And God's promise for us isn't that, hey, you're not going to go through any dark places. You're not going to go through any places of discouragement or fear or enemies. But the blessing is that even though you go in those places, there's a blessing of confidence in dark places. That you're going through that place, but you're not alone. But God is with us in those places. Um, That that's what makes all the difference. That we can, and that's really what we want. That we can, we can go through life and have something greater than our own fears that can, can give us confidence. I was reading this week in Hebrews chapter 10, and I was just struck by, wow, these followers of Jesus, they went through some places that were really dark. But yet, 
They had confidence in those places. In Hebrews 10.32, the, the writer is writing to the disciples. It says this. He says, But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. And so these are words that you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Like again, not what we would choose for our life, but it does seem to describe our life a lot of the time. And this, they were actually being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Many of these people were, many of them gave their lives because they were followers of Jesus. And it says in, in verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison, people who were being in prison for their faith, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Wow. That is not a typical American response. Can you think, like, our American dream is all about accumulating stuff and getting enough possessions and financial stability? And these people were having their property plundered. But they had such a confidence in God that they joyfully accepted that. Why? It says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They knew that they had something that was more real, more tangible, of greater security than having all their goods taken away, all their property taken away, having their bank accounts drained. They had something better, and it was going to last in this life and in eternity. And it says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You know, the battle for us in the, in the dark places is always, am I going to have confidence in God in this place? But the way we walk in this blessing is putting our trust and having confidence in him in those dark places. All right, it goes on, verse 4. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now think about that. The sheep is saying, the shepherd's rod and staff comfort them. And the, if you think of a picture of a shepherd, that's like the classic, you hardly can find a picture without a shepherd holding his staff. A lot of times with that little crook around the top. And, and the, the rod and the staff, the staff is like that long, the long stick, oftentimes with the crook on the top. A rod would be a smaller one. And they're really symbols of the shepherd's authority. And this is really the blessing of authority. The blessing of having God's authority in our life. The rod was used, first of all, oftentimes to rescue wayward sheep. That if a sheep would wander off, if the shepherd saw it, he would reach out and, and bring it back. But a lot of times, it would, before he saw it, it would get stuck in, a, in some thorns or something, or maybe even in the water. And the shepherd could take his staff and, and reach around and pull that sheep out and rescue it. And so the authority of the shepherd was used to deliver the sheep from harm. It was used to, to ward off predators. I, I heard a story about a guy. He was hanging out with some shepherds in, a shepherd in Kenya from the Maasai tribe. And they were wanting to watch these, these elephants down below. This is kind of crazy. Don't ever do this. But there were elf, there's a herd of elephants, and they wanted to make a move or run. And so they're like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to push this boulder down this, this cliff, down this hill, and that'll scare the elephants and make them move. And so they did that. And as they were moving the boulder, when they moved it, the, a cobra appeared and started just lurched towards them. And the shepherd, as he had been moving this cobra, he never let go of his rod 
And without a moment's hesitation, he had it in his hand, and he just banged that thing on the head and killed it. And that's what rods were used for. A shepherd would pick the right rod, and they'd spend hours whittling it and fashioning it to just the right shape. And they'd spend hours throwing it. And it would be used as a, as a, as a weapon against, against predators. They could hit stuff with it, scare it away, and use it as an incredible weapon. And so the sheep would say, hey, your rod and your staff, it comforts me. Because I know you got something. Your authority can send my enemies to flight. Um, also in the evening, when the sheep would come under, would, would come back to the fold, the, the shepherd would, would hold out his rod, and each sheep would pass under the rod, and he would count them. And that was basically a symbol. This is my sheep. And he, Jesus said, this shepherd knows each sheep by name. And he would know each one. And to pass under the rod of the shepherd's authority meant you were his. And you were under his protection and under his provision. And that's the blessing that God has for us, that to be under his authority. We oftentimes think of authority as a bad word. You know, like, hey, you know, question authority. And ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm an American. But the authority of God is one of the greatest blessings in our life. When we come under his lordship, under his leadership, it brings us security, and it gives us authority as well. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is, I, the imagery kind of shifts here a little bit more. It's not so direct sheep, you know, sitting around a table eating whatever they eat. But the saying, Lord, you're my shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is the blessing of victory. There is a victory that that God has for us over our enemies. And whether our enemy is is fear, whether it's our past, whether it's things that have happened to us or that have been done to us, or insecurities, our temptations, whatever those are, Jesus brings victory for us. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the knowledge of the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And victory is awesome. But what's really interesting about this picture is he's, God's making a table for us. He's making a feast for us. It's like Thanksgiving dinner. But then somewhere right around are your enemies. And it's like God's honoring you in the place of your enemies. And I think that's, that's kind of cool, but really, I'd rather enjoy Thanksgiving without my enemies being in the room. <laughs> really, right? Like, just let's get some more distance here. But there's something about when you can't experience victory without facing your enemies. You can't experience victory by avoiding your enemies. It only comes through facing your enemies. There's a famous story, a uh, famous Christian, Corey Ten Boone who her family, she was a teenage girl during the Holocaust. Her family was Dutch. And they sheltered Jewish people in their home and and hid them from the Nazis. And they ended up being caught, and her whole family was sent to a concentration camp because of of aiding and abetting the Jews. And in this experience, most of her family ended up dying. And she writes in, in her book, The Hiding Place of the Brutality of What She Experienced, and the, the, the really unjust treatment, the abuse that happened from the guards. Um, and there are you know, stories of all the, all the women in their room having to strip down and being abused, and just horrible things happened. But she was a believer, and God met her in that place. And 
Her, her younger sister ended up dying because of the mistreatment. But after the war, she ended up writing her story about how she found a place of forgiveness in her relationship with God. And she found healing from everything that had been done to her and was able to extend forgiveness to those who had, who had wronged her. And one day she was in a, at a church in, in Holland telling this story. And after she told her story, this man walked up to talk to her. And as he walked up, she recognized him as the very guard who had, who had mistreated her and her sister and had been the one that had been directly responsible for what had happened. And she felt all the, you know, the feelings of anger and resentment and hostility rising up within her. And the man came up to her, and she thought, oh, man, this, just, just wrestling you know, with that emotion. And the man came up to her and said, Fraulein Corey, I was a guard in, the, in a concentration camp, and he didn't seem to rec- real, remember that it was her. He said, but i become a believer. And will you forgive me for what I've done? And she sat there in that place. She's like, I, I thought I'd forgiven people for what they had done, but this is too much. I don't think I can bring myself to forgive this man who abused us, who was responsible for my sister's death. And she felt, you know, just this, everything in her did not want to do that. But she came and said, okay, no, God, I know you've forgiven me. I do, yes, I do. And she said, yes, sir, I, I forgive you for what you've done. And she said that she felt the love of God in her heart like she had never felt before. As she faced her enemy, as she faced the very thing that had ruined her life, you know, threatened to ruin her life. But she looked that square in the eye and said, no, God, I will forgive this enemy. And she experienced God's love. And that's for us, too. God wants to prepare a table for us, not in avoiding our enemies, not in avoiding the stuff that's going on, whatever that would be, but in bringing to us to, to look at that and say, God, no, this is what you have. You have victory for me. I'm going to face it and receive the freedom that you have for me. Verse 5 says, You anoint my head with oil. And that anointing a head with oil is what would happen in ancient Israel when you would anoint a, a priest or the king. Later, David's head was anointed with oil. It's a sign of the Holy Spirit. And it's a sign of, and Ginny's on the front row, she gets all my special treatment here. But the priest or whatever would come and bring oil and pour it, pour it on the head. It was a sign of God's presence and choosing of a person, that he had a special mission and a call for their life. And this is really the blessing of a calling, that God has a calling for each and every one of us. He has a unique purpose for each and every one of us. And there's something that he made us for, there's something he calls us to that Nobody else is called to in quite the same way. And there's an incredible blessing in, in hearing that. And God wants us to, to hear that calling and to come into it and experience it. And then the last, the last one here, verse 5 and 6, he says, My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is a picture of you know, a cup that's running over. It's so, flow, it's so full. It says, of mercy and love following me all the days of my life. I'm living in God's house forever. It's, this is, we call this the blessing of favor. The blessing of God's favor coming upon us. 
and being with us. And what's, what's favor? Well, I don't know if you all had this, but I think about in, in my school. I went to a small school. In ninth grade, a new girl moved to our school, in our class. And honestly, I, I didn't think she was that good looking, but, but she was like, it's one of those, like the new girl that everybody's like, oh my goodness, and I'm not going to say her name because these messages are recorded and my high school classmates might hear. But it's like, oh, this girl, have you seen her? And it was like, you know, she's, she's incredible. And there was just like this favor on this gal. We'll call her Susie. It wasn't Susie. And it was like everybody wanted to date Susie, and everyone wanted to hang out with Susie, and she made the volleyball team. I don't even know if she was supposed to make the volleyball team. She was good enough. It was like the teachers loved her, and everybody loved her. And it was like, wow, that's favor right there. It's like there's something about someone that's just, it's likability. Favor is likability, and that's how God thinks about us. God, God has favorites. And the amazing thing about God is he has more than one favorite. He's able to, to have favor for, for everyone, but it's in that, that unique, special way. And there is a, a he, as we follow him, there's a, a richness, a richness of his, his goodness and his mercy that follows us all the days of our life. Now, that doesn't mean that, that things are, are easy. You know, I, my grandfather died a couple of years, few years ago, and he was a farmer in, in Indiana. And he, he, had, he lived a very tough, hard-scrabble life. You know, he lost a farm in Nebraska when he was a young man. He had a, a sibling die in an accident with a horse. Um, he lost a son who was 14 years old who had a drowning accident. He had an intense marriage with my grandmother for 60 years. You know, there, was, there was a lot. Of, you know, it was tough. Eking out a living on the farm was tough. He, had, he and my grandmother actually drove a school bus for over 30 years um, to, to help make ends meet. But he and my grandmother came to faith in Christ early, in their 30s, actually. And at his funeral, this was the, there, was a, there was an old chorus that is based on this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of God forever. And that was the song that he wanted sung at his funeral. Because he's like, that's been my life. God, it's been intense, it's been tough, but God's goodness and his mercy, his favor has followed me all the days of my life. And that's, that's what God has for us. As we look to him as our shepherd, he pours that out on us. Um, I just think it's interesting to note that the place of favor is in God's house. He says, mercy, grace, the favor of God, goodness and mercy will follow me, and I'll dwell in God's house forever. It's being in family, being with God's people. That's really the place where we fully experience the favor of God in a very unique way. And the enemy is, you know, like, like, a, like a wolf or a lion or whatever. They always try to separate a sheep from the flock. They always try to divide them. The younger you are, the more vulnerable you are, the, the more they try to divide you from the flock. But the favor is found. The favor of God is found in the household of God, in the depth of relationships that God has for us. And so, again, God wants us to walk in his favor. And part of that is... is building those relationships and fully engaging with his people the way he calls us to. All right. There's a lot there. I, 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 this is so much of the blessing that God has for us. And I just want to read through that list one more time and ask you, hey, is there one of these that God is prompting you to trust him for? 
And then is there some way where you're going to say, I shall not want in this area? Like, I want to align my life more fully with God in this area. And so, there's, make sure I get them all, the blessing of restoration, the blessing of the way, the blessing of confidence in dark places, the blessing of authority, the blessing of victory, the blessing of calling, the blessing of favor. What's God speaking to you? Which of those? What does he want to bring you in more fully? And how can you align with him in that? We're going to do something. You guys are all really quiet. A lot to listen to. Uh, we're, we're going to read this psalm together. And Colin, I didn't warn you about this, but if you could like run us through those verses, that would be great on the, on the screen. Uh, let's go ahead and stand up. and We're, we're about to end here. I'll encourage us to, let's read this and really own it in our own heart in a fresh way. All right, can we do this? All right, ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, that's good stuff. I'm going to give you a, a next step this week to encourage you to do. Usually, uh, you know, we give you, hey, this is, take this, apply this this week, put this into practice. This psalm is just so rich. It's something that would be worth every follower of Jesus learning and internalizing and putting in their heart. And we usually do a weekly reading where we have like a chapter of the Bible that if you want to read that during the week, we encourage you to do that. This week what we're going to do is just break up this chapter into one verse a day. And if you would take like five minutes a day and memorize that verse, commit it to memory, put it in your heart, memorize what God's Word says, and think about it, and then for the rest of your life, you can draw upon that and go back to it. Maybe you've done that already, and this can just be a refresher. Like, oh yeah, this is good. I'm going to be thinking about this, trusting in God, drawing near to Him. And this, uh, you know, it's just so much encouragement and blessing that God has for us to walk in. All right. Let me, let me pray for us one more time. And we're going to head out of here. Lord, thank you for being our shepherd, Lord, thank you for what you have for us. Lord, thank you that everything we need can be found in our relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for all the ways we've experienced that, for being so faithful to us. And Lord, we trust you to lead us more fully in what you have for us. 
We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if this is your first week here, we're glad you could be here. We have a gift for you at our Welcome Center. And so make sure you stop there on your way out. Also, if you have any questions or you want to take a next... uh,